Well, Vicky, Noswitha. Noswitha, Terry. Nice to see you again. Yes. Lots has happened since we had our first chat like this about a month ago. Yes. Well, you know, they say uh, a week is a long time in politics. I think that <laughs> the last few months, uh, there's definitely been a, a lot on the agenda. It's been a difficult week for Lee Waters. Yes, it's um, it's been a really mm. difficult time with the, the rollout of the 20 mile an hour regulations. Um, I hope that it's all going to settle down soon. Well, the thing is, it, it became very personal, didn't it? And, and that's it doesn't need to be personal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a, a manifesto commitment which uh, the Welsh Labour government was elected on um, and it shouldn't be a personal issue directed at one politician. I know that uh, Lee um, and Mark Drakeford have both had um, security threats to their homes and to their families um, and, you know, this level of toxicity in, in politics is, is just not right. There are ways for people to express their feelings. Uh, the petition is a good example of that um, and uh, we do need to make sure that we all conduct ourselves in, in a civilised way, whatever our views are. One of the interesting things that seems to have come out of this is that, you know, he said it's never going to be perfect on day one. Mm. And in my limited travels around, which are largely around here, down into Cardiff, where they've taken it very seriously, I'd observe, because <laughs> you've got major roads with 20 mile limits and people are hopping about it. In Swansea, that hasn't happened at all. Mm-hmm. All the major thoroughfares, including the road down to Mumbles, are all the same as they were before. Mm-hmm. There are no houses next to the road. You know, when you get into Mumbles, it's 20, as you'd expect, because mm-hmm. it's a shopping centre. So it's an entirely different interpretation of the same rules. Yes. And in, in the debate, I noticed that, uh, that Lee, for the first time, said that some councils have seemed reluctant to take the powers that Welsh Government have given them mm-hmm. to vary the 20 miles an hour where they think it should be varied. Yes. Because of some legal concern or something. I mean, that's not come up before. We've not heard that in any statements before because he said let us know if you think a road is wrongly coded Mm -hmm. let us know yes absolutely i you know i've been privy to conversations behind closed doors before the regulations went through and i know that this was an an area of concern uh you know it's great to give local authorities the power to set the speed limits as they want to to vary from them under the regulations that's definitely the right thing to do but what is more difficult is to get a uniform way of approaching that across wales um, both with the politicians who run councils but also with the officers um, who are experts on highways behind the scenes um, and i do think there's a case for us to look perhaps again at the regulations to see you know are they clear um you know I, i'm familiar with the regulations i know that the last point on there is that local authorities can vary from 20 mile an hour as a default speed limit if they have a clear and reasoned case. Um, The difficulty is that some local authorities will feel confident with that and others might wonder what a clear and reasoned case actually is and looks like. Um, RCT, I will say, I think have been very, very sensible in the way that they've implemented the regulations in Kenham Valley, definitely. You know, that's my my area of of expertise. I scrutinised the consultation map, which I think a lot of people weren't aware there were consultations both Wales-wide, open to everywhere, Um, and uh, in local authorities as well. I scrutinised that map uh, before the regulations came in. There was the ability for every citizen to say if they wanted uh, roads amended, either from 20 up to 30, uh, or if they thought that some exemptions the council had made where they put 30, if they thought that that should be 20, citizens could uh, write in and express their views. And I know some councils did deviate uh, from those uh, maps based on what residents were saying to them the feedback that they were getting so there is that ability to vary um, and just because councils might not have varied a road now doesn't mean they won't and I know that um, Lee Waters is looking to get councils to to reassess within the next say 8, 10, 12 weeks maximum. Well that would be a very welcome thing I think for some people because it is perplexing when major routes are, you know, are, for, are 20 for no apparent reason. 
it just doesn't make sense and i think some people are saying that but whereas overall it, it appears though even now that there's a majority in favor um i know the welsh conservatives view which is solidified it was more in favor years ago yes I, it was I, yeah. I they were the first ones to propose this in wales well, you wouldn't know that, would no, you? No, you wouldn't know. <laughs> um, but, but the public, whenever the public have been quizzed by the Welsh Government or by research people mm-hmm. working for the Welsh Government, although it's fair to say results since the pandemic have been less favourable, they've still been a majority. They've always been a majority. And there was a poll done last week that, that seemed to suggest that there was still a majority in favour provided it was done sensibly and, and the fine detail you know it's the devil is in the detail here isn't it yes absolutely i mean i do regular street surgeries i have since i was first elected in 2016 and i can say hand on heart the number one issue that comes up in those street surgeries uh, is residents concern about speed and traffic in the areas that they live uh, and if uh, if i could have a pound uh, to give away to a charity of my choice for every resident who's, who said to me they wanted speed restrictions on their street you know we'd have a, a nice big pot of money to give away to charity there uh, so i think there's a tension between what people want to see in the street that they live in and what they want to see on their journey to work and that can be a difficult circle to square you know um so there is definitely a need to to look and to get this right in some areas um but i would just encourage the the public to be uh patient uh, and to know that you know people are working to make sure that this is done in a right way and let's remember the real reason behind this it's all about saving lives um it's estimated that uh, around 100 lives could be saved within the, the first uh, 10 years of this policy. Uh, and that's not just lives of pedestrians, it's people who actually drive vehicles and are passengers in vehicles as well. And of course, if we wind back beyond the controversy, back to where it was an idea uh, and, uh, and, as you say, a manifesto, pledge by yourselves i think and plied mm-hmm. wasn't it yes um, it was it's one of yeah. those joint ones in a way that the momentum was coming from communities who were talking to people like yourself and saying can we have a, a lower limit please it's just yes. too dangerous crossing the road and stuff like that and that's happened all over england as well that's right and i think that's that's been perhaps a part of the debate that might have been lost there are several cities in england uh, bristol's one example where uh, 20 mile an hour limits have been brought in and after um, a little period of flux at the start they've actually gone down really well more people are feeling that it's safe to be able to walk their children to school for example rather than bundle them in cars um, people are feeling that their their streets are safer um, uh, quieter nicer places to live uh, and there have been far less accidents. Spain has rolled this out uh, nationwide um, and it's now one of their most popular policies uh, and I honestly think if we were to come back in 10 years time we'll see the rest of the UK will have followed suit as well. Now, there are all sorts of groups set up around the UK and in Wales um, who have been lobbying for years um, to get 20 mile an hour uh, zones in place as much as possible because of the fact that it saves so many lives uh, it saves uh, it does save money as well uh, one argument that I haven't heard many people um, list in is the fact that every fatality on our roads costs the taxpayer a million pounds you know that that's a that's a large amount of money um, and it is better in terms of pollution and encouraging people to get out of their cars to walk um, to, to use the bike to feel safe walking to the bus stop to catch the bus and so on well it, you know it, it'll all settle down but but people listening to this thinking well it's outrageous that whatever road is now 20 can contact the welsh government or their local authority yes absolutely a, and should do Yes, definitely. And now, I've had a lot of people write to me um, and when I write back to them and say, you know, let me know what road uh, you're unhappy with. I haven't had anybody who's able to, to list a road in the Cannon Valley. I firmly believe in my local area it's been done correctly. Um, but 
there are areas that, that do need looking at. We, we're not shying away from that. I know that a lot of the backlash is coming from people who um, feel really unsure what mm. speed they should be driving at on different roads now and are worried that they're going to end up with fines with points on their licence. So I would just like to reassure all the listeners that within the first 12 months, at least, there are no plans at all for uh, for the police or for speed cameras to be looking to, to catch people and to find them. This is a bedding-in period for people to get used to um, the limits on their roads. And the general rule of thumb is, you know, it, it, as we were all taught when we when we were doing our driving tests, that if you don't see any speed signs, assume that it's 30. We just take that now and assume that it's 20. And, of course, some roads may change in the next few weeks as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, as a result of, of consultation and ongoing work. But there we are. So, uh, yes, hopefully it'll settle down at some point. I do hope so. <laughs> well, it will. Yeah, I'm sure it will, actually. I mean, it has everywhere else it's happened. It has, yes. And in Spain, I mean, there, there is, there's a 30 kilometres. So that's mm-hmm. 18.6 miles an hour. It's not even 20. Yes, yes. And, it, and it's, you know, they faced a big backlash at the start, but people are really happy with it now. They, they actually applaud their government and say it's one of the best policies that was brought in. So fingers crossed. Magic. Now, last time uh, we met, we talked about Senate reform at some length. Yes. So but there's a couple of things, and it's a long way away still at the it moment, is. isn't it? It is. Um, but a couple of things that come up, which I thought I'd raise with you. One is when I was chatting to Mick Antoneff, whose, you know, baby this is, mm-hmm. really. <laughs> he's got the unenviable job of you know designing the legislation and everything else yes. um he he'd been shocked actually because 24 hours before um i talked to him which is a couple of weeks ago the electoral commission had come out with a finding that in wales there were 400,000 people who were not registered to vote mm. And he was doing the sums in his head and he said, well, that's about a quarter mm. of, of the population who are of voting age. Yes. Which is amazingly bad. It is. It is. And, and I'm always surprised when, when I go out on the campaign trail, the number of people who think that they can vote. And, you know, as political parties, we're used to how to, how to quiz people to make sure that that is the case. And then finding out that, that they haven't got uh, themselves registered to vote. So I would hope that all political parties parties before every general um, every election campaign will be looking to get that message out to people about how to register to vote because you know it's, it's the foundation of our democracy um, and everyone should be having a say in who is running whether it's you know Westminster the Senate um, or your local authority. Well the electoral register is the same for everything isn't it? We do the elections differently here in the sense we've got 16-year-olds can vote yes. and so on. And I know um, McAntoniff's idea is to look at existing databases like the NHS and the DWP and things like that to find the list of mm-hmm. people which can then be tr- transformed across to make it automatic. So everyone's registered. They don't have to go and vote, but they're all registered to vote automatically. And I suppose that would work for national elections as well, although there are other differences um, in that the UK government have brought in something that will will happen here next year sometime, uh, or maybe sooner, but probably next year, uh, which is the ID, voter ID, that yes. they require people to take ID. This has never been done before, yes. apart from your little electoral card, you know, that you're sent. You didn't have to do that, and we don't have to do it for your elections right. or for the local authority. But we will have to do it for national elections. Um, and that's become, I mean, there are lots of people who were turned away at the English local elections. Yeah, it's, it's a real worry because you need to have photographic ID. And the, the two key forms of that are a, a passport or a driving license. Well, there are lots of people who don't have a passport or a driving license who are then being decide, enfranchised um, as a result. Uh, and, you know, I certainly don't think that it's a, a really good way to, to run any democratic country and anything that we can do to pull together uh, ID from different available lists to give everyone the right to vote, whether you use it or not, is a, is another thing altogether. I would hope that everyone would use their right to vote, but the worst thing is when someone thinks that they can vote and they're turned away um, at the last moment. 
And there's a certain amount of education required, I think, ahead of the next election mm. in Wales because the system is different now Yes. rather than being the same for everything else. And eventually it'll probably get sorted out with the electoral register being sorted out. And, and obviously a change of government in London might reverse it or change it. Yes. And, and actually this government might because it appears it isn't it hasn't achieved the sort of demographic um <laughs> sifting yes. that they hoped it might i i heard even jacob rees mogg was concerned that there were tory voters that were disenfranchised so you know if they think that they cut in their own voters out of the system then <laughs> we might see change faster than we thought well we'll come back to the reform at some other point but of course the, there is some reform going on actually almost immediately in the Cumberland valley in the sense that the parliamentary seat has changed yes and 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 has been sort of split in half really yes it is almost almost exactly in half and uh, it was just thursday evening actually we held our last ever meeting of the kenan valley constituency labor party which was a really poignant uh, occasion um after achieving so much as a team of volunteers together uh, to disband now and half of our members will be going into the new pont seat uh, which will take the area from mountain ash down and the other half of of our members uh, will be going into the new uh, Merthyr Tydfil and Aberdeer seat. It's a historic seat. It's the, the seat that Keir Hardy was uh, first elected to represent the, the Labour Party for. So there, there are those historic links there. But, you know, it's another layer of change where one type of, of, uh, of constituency and elections is different to another. And, you know, you've got to have sympathy for Joe Public, who is just thinking, gosh, you know, what, what does this change mean? Where does it stop? Do I have the same representative for this or that or the other? Yes, and for a number of years, you know, um, hopefully you'll still be representing the whole Cunnan Valley yes, for your, will. you know, for the, your Senate seat. Yes. But then come twenty twenty six, that changes as well. Yes, in line with as we were explaining last time, in line with the boundary changes that the um, parliamentary seats are. And it's all it's all changing then, but That's you, right. at least you've got a few years to get used to it. Yeah, so the, the idea for Senna's reform, um, and this law be carried out by the Independent Boundary Commission, so there won't be any political parties you know trying to put this stamp on it or anything like that um, but the plan is that two of the new Westminster constituencies will join t- together to make a Senate super constituency. The other aspect that's come up since our chat before is the cost. Mm. Unfortunately, the day after... <laughs> The 20 mile an hour thing was like exploding and there were hundreds of thousands of people signing petitions came the fact that obviously to have 36 more members in the Senate is going to cost more money. And there was a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth going on and and probably that will return as as the thing becomes, you know, an act uh, and so on. And there were were widely different estimates about how much it was going to cost too, with the the official figure being a lot lower than one of the opposition parties figure which they were putting on social media of hundreds of millions of pounds yes yeah i You're- think i can give you a good answer to that terry i definitely know know this because i was i was reading up on it from a sharp end uh, the other week so the answer is that we're looking at 18 million pounds extra a year um which on its own seems like a vast sum of money but i think it's only fair to look at that within the welsh government's annual budget and it's, it's actually 0.07 percent of the welsh government's annual budget and you know if that's the price that uh, leads to greater scrutiny of the Welsh government um, better results on on policies that are going through you know I mean you could argue maybe if there we had those extra members when the 20 mile an hour regulations were going through would there have been greater capacity to scrutinise areas there and say hang on maybe we need to sharpen up on X, Y and Z to make this work for the population of Wales. We've got so many more policy areas that are devolved to the Welsh government now um, and we are by far, if you look at the, the, the representation per head of population in the UK, we're by far the, the smallest parliament. Um, but I can explain, I think, where the opposition figures are coming in uh, is that very separately to Senate reform, there's also a period where we're looking at the end of the lease coming on our, 
office buildings down in Cardiff Bay, Tihawel, it's the annex building to the Senate. Um, and we're at the mercy there of the landlord. Um, and so there are some costings going on about, you know, what might happen if the landlord throws us all out and wants to, to knock the building down and um, build apartments there for which he'd be able to get a lot more money. So that is a separate costing that's going to happen regardless of Senate's reform. But it is, of course, very handy for an opposition party to be able to throw that into the melting pot and uh, portray it as a, an additional associated cost when it's not. I mean, the figure you you expressed as such a small percentage of the Welsh government's um, you know annual budget for thirty six more members, which mm. is a substantial number. But as you say, there's a lot more work to do. I think that's the argument, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. I mean, it, it doesn't seem a lot of money for the benefit that that you'll get. But I know that talking to people like yourself and Mick over the years about the amount of work, the amount of committee work, you know, scrutiny, mm. as you say. Most of which is, is you know, cross-party. So all yes. of these dramatic um, scenes that we see, uh, you know, in the Senate are not representative at all. As you said last time, actually, you were, you, you were go- when you arrived mm. first, you were expected to put your suit of armour on. Yes. Because <laughs> that's the impression you get, you know, from the odd spat between the leaders and so on. But but actually, it's not like that at all. No, no, it's not. And, you know, the, the committee work, cross-party committee work, is the most important area, really, because that's where, when the Welsh Government presents us with their plans, with their laws um, that they want to get through, we can look at those, we can talk to stakeholders and really scrutinise them beforehand and try and make sure that, you know, we, we suggest changes, we um, make it the, the very best for uh, the people of Wales. And that's an essential part of democracy. Uh, and let's not forget, if we look at a, a local stat, you know, there are 76 councillors on RCT Council to represent people here. There are only 60 members of the Senate down in Cardiff Bay. And when you strip out uh, the members who are in Welsh Government, there are only 46 backbenchers left to scrutinise government policy. Um, and, you know, there is increasingly a feeling that for a government to be effective, you need more scrutiny than that. The, um, the legislation will have to go through, you know, years before the implementation mm. of this. And I know there'll be a lot more debate about it. And I think the public will get to hear a lot more about it. I think they're quite confused. Uh, I mean, the only, th- the only good thing that happened with the pandemic, I, th- I think, is that the public became aware mm. of some of the things the Welsh government do. I don't yes. think they knew what the Welsh government did at all before that. And that's probably reflected in the poor turnout at the elections as well, yes. actually. Since then, you know, for good or bad or whatever, they doubt now know that the Welsh government control, you know, um, health and education. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess under health comes 20 mile an hour speed limits <laughs> and other delights like that. But, but uh, you know, the public are realising there are two different things now. Yes. It is confusing. And there'll be less MPs too. I mean, you're saying there'll be more Senate members, but actually that'll be balanced in a way by less MPs in Westminster representing Wales. That's right. And if you also add into the mix the number of Euro MPs that we've lost as well, um, actually we're we're not creating any more political posts than we will be losing as a result of those two changes. You mentioned the word Europe there. It's Mm. not on my sheet here, things to ask you. But it does it does intrigue me that one because it strikes me that Labour at a national level are trying to at least have some entente cordiale with Europe and of course the um, the press always go ah would you repeal Brexit you see mm-hmm. and, and, and Starmer having been through the minefield of that oh you he know, certainly has <laughs> he certainly doesn't want to go back through that minefield mm. again but but there does appear to be a little more shall we say appetite for you know as as you're a labor representative i think probably on things like working and conditions mm. and stuff like that it's a lot that was in the european legislation that many people think is right yes and um, shouldn't be repealed yes absolutely um lots of things around working conditions around uh, maternity leave uh, paternity leave all sorts and I, I think what we're seeing now from Kieran and his team is a group of politicians who are 
taking very seriously the fact that they are increasingly looking like they are people in, in waiting for government. Uh, and as part of those plans, you need to reach out to your neighbours across Europe um, and to form policies that will work at all levels of government. Yes, we're not a part of the European Union anymore, but we still need those trade links. We still need those economic links. Uh, we still need to sort out the issues around uh, migration uh, and asylum seekers. And all of those things can only be sorted by actually exploring and having those links with the countries who surround us. Wales has suffered, I mean whatever your view is on Brexit, Wales has suffered a lot from lacking the trade running through Wales, hasn't it, from the ports Yes. because people from ERA now get on a ferry and go to northern France. They, they don't come over to Wales and go through the UK because obviously it's, you know, it's border zones and customs and everything else now. So they just go from the EU to the EU Yes. cut out the middleman but that's cut out a lot of business opportunities in wales in the process yes that's right and in fact as part of my work on the economy committee we recently undertook um, uh, a study into uh, ports and the effect of brexit on ports uh, and and the effect is is really catastrophic in terms of our trade and there's so much work that needs to be done um, around the customs uh, issues in particular of course, we've got the free ports now coming mm. along, which are, which are sort of effort to, to try and equalise that situation, I suppose. Yes, and that was part of our um, inquiry as well, and uh, you know, lo- lots of excitement around uh, the benefits that could occur there. But the, I think the big worry is about the issue of displacement. Is that for any areas that lie just outside the zone of the free port, there's a real danger that um, we're going to see companies looking to relocate, and that there could be some job losses involved there as well. So it's it's all bit of swings and roundabouts at the moment and, and just over the mountain you know there's Port Talbot with mm. the enormous steelworks there and it's a good thing that government is UK government because it's a UK government scale thing isn't it yes. that they're putting money in for the blast furnaces to be replaced by electric ones and so on and so on the, the unions appear very disheartened about it because they wanted a higher grade um, conversion so that the plant could still produce lots of different sorts of steel like it does now. Whereas under the conversion that's planned, I I gather, though it will save thousands of jobs, will only allow it to recycle steel. Um, There's something to do with the the furnaces, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be a very different enterprise. And again, this is something that we've been scrutinising on the Economy Committee. And in fact, we we took evidence from the Secretary of State for Wales, David Davis, uh, just on Wednesday. Um, I think that the biggest issue the unions have got is the fact that they've been completely excluded from these talks, these negotiations. They weren't around uh, the, the table at all. Uh, and this was just presented to them as a fait accompli, which, as you can imagine, when we're looking at 8,000 um, jobs directly at the, the steelworks and around uh, 12,000 in the supply chain, you know, this is of huge regional significance to the South Wales economy. Uh, so it's it's a shame that that we've got where we have where neither the Welsh government nor the unions were were party to these talks. At the moment, it looks like uh, three thousand high paid, high high skilled jobs are likely to go there. Um, the, there's there's a lot of uncertainty still about what will happen. But in the long term, as you alluded to there as well, Terry, the the kind of steel that you can make with these electric arc furnaces is very very different. Um, and and a much lower quality so we're putting ourselves as a nation at risk of having to import virtually all our steel um, for any industrial strategy that we have and you know when you look at the insecurities in the world the the issues around Russia and Ukraine is it really a sensible policy for us to have to import such a crucial um, a crucial commodity Uh, it's it's quite worrying I think it's the climate change thing, isn't it, which is a huge elephant in the room now. Everyone recognises it's there. Um, everyone's got a different view of how to avoid it and how to work around it. And the environmentalists are up in arms the moment you know there's any discussion about coal mines staying open, mm. even if the carbon from them is making batteries for electric cars. Yeah. You know they haven't looked under the surface. Yes, it, it's bad. It's when you burn it, it's bad. You know, 
but if you don't burn it, you can use it for other things. And those arguments are never heard at all. Um, and another one is that the UK government is allowing some more exploitation of oil from North Sea. Yes. And when you see the Saudi Arabia and Russia at the moment have us in a stranglehold, they've reduced their oil production to put the price back up mm -hmm. because the price has come down. And we're all paying 155 at the pump, we were paying 145 before. Yes. So when the UK government says we should, in the process of transition, uh, exploit any resources we've got, actually, in our territory, it, it makes a lot of sense. Well, it does, until you find out that 95% of the oil that comes out of the North Sea is still exported. And uh, I, I find that quite difficult to get my head around if it was being used um, in the UK yeah. and driving down the price at the pumps, then I think there'd be a, a lot stronger argument for it. Now, I know a place that you're particularly interested in and visited the sort of um, building site there that's the Diagnostic and Treatment Hub, yes. for which is part of the national um, Welsh NHS plan for having kind of super treatment facilities. And actually, we're having one here. Yes, this will be the first in Wales. And I think, you know, it's, it's um, really got transformative potential, um, especially for those in the local area who are on waiting lists for orthopaedic surgeries, things like hip replacement knee replacements and so on um, so the, the Welsh Government has invested £8 million in purchasing the old British Airways Engineering um, works down in Llantrisant it's very very close to the Royal Glamorgan Hospital and I went down there for a visit uh, with health board officials last week and I am so enthused at the potential that this has to really transform local healthcare, be the first in Wales uh, the idea is that we strip out from the general hospitals um, all the orthopaedic surgeries so that we don't get issues where people are having their operations cancelled at short notice because surgeons or operating theatres or other equipment is needed for emergency surgery. By having all of this elective surgery in one place with a team that's dedicated to that and all the equipment that you need, you can run it really like a conveyor belt to get people through there um, and to, to get to the bottom of the backlog of surgery. Um, and I saw uh, one room that they were planning to use as an operating theatre and they'd be able to have six people uh, undergoing surgery in that room at any one time and another identical room for another five. Um, so it really would be a sort of a, a mass production scale of operating and uh, this would be done for Comtaf Health Board but also working with Cardiff and the Vale Health Board and an Iron Bevan so that basically covers uh, all of RCT, Bridgend, Merthyr, Caerphilly and Cardiff and if it works as it's supposed to then we could not just reduce the waiting lists to pre-COVID levels but eliminate all waiting lists for orthopaedic surgery within five years. Well, obviously, that's fantastic, isn't it? Yes. So amongst all the, you know, the gloom, um, there, there is a, a definitely a shaft of light there. And of course, not far away, there's the new right through breast cancer treatment centre, isn't it? Yes. At the hospital, which is astonishing. Yes, it is. Um, and that is up and running and already transforming the way that um, people with breast cancer are being cared for locally. Uh, and it's, it's a huge uh, achievement on an illness that affects so many people uh, and I, I think that's another thing that we can be really really proud of something you want to talk about and i know is, is shopping centers is town centers yes because uh, I, I saw this week in the press that a big newport shopping center has been sold for about six hundred and fifty thousand pounds this is an enormous shopping center mm. with a sainsbury's in it and a number of you know upmarket if you like outlets but lots of empty empty shops it made me think, well, blimey, that's, that's a sort of upmarket house price. And a whole shopping centre in a, in a city centre is in Newport. So that, that sort of underlines, if you didn't know already, the issue of problems that mm -hmm. centres, whatever they are, whether they're cities or towns, face. And the ones that have sort of dug themselves out of it appear to have diversified the kind of things that happen in yes. the shops. 
Yes, that, that is absolutely key to it. And I know this is an area that people feel really passionate about. Everyone wants to see their local town centre turn a corner and, and survive and thrive. But it's how we get people to go into our town centres to, to spend money uh, and to keep that economy going. Um, and I wanted to talk about the work of Aberdeer Bid. So Aberdeer has a, a business improvement district now. This is something that's Welsh government funded uh, then all of the shops within that area uh, pay a small levy into a pot and they have a democratic control um, over how that money is spent in order to enhance the the town centre um, and Aberdeer bid got off the ground um right in the middle of COVID actually, which <laughs> wasn't the best of times uh, to, to start something like that. It was a real challenge, but the bid is doing such fantastic work now. Um, and I think local people are able to, to really see the, the changes that have been wrought. So one of the key things I think about bringing people back into the town centre is giving them a reason to, to come in. Uh, and Aberdeer bid decided that they would provide those reasons in the form of events. So over the summer, uh, there have been events one a week to bring in families with children, uh, all sorts of things like face painting, disco dancing, um, meet fake dinosaurs, things like that. Uh, and just two or three weeks ago, we had... Aberdeer's first ever food and drink festival organised by the bid which was a rip-roaring success. You could barely move in the town for the number of people there visiting the stores of of course all independent traders so the money that you spend there stays back in the local economy and it was just wonderful looking on Facebook and reading the comments from people uh, how delighted they were. I think the one that really stuck in my mind was a lady who said something magical is happening to our little town it's coming alive again and you know this is what we want to see in all of our uh, town centres uh, and I'm just so proud that Aberdeer Bid uh, are really turning that corner for Aberdeer and I know GTFM has been involved in in lots of the things that have been going on with the bid as well. Yeah we have it's been delightful yeah I mean the, the crew as you know the crew were down at the uh, at the food festival and it mm. just was astonishing I, you know people were, were knee deep in people really I mean, yeah. it was just amazing. And the weather wasn't bad either, which is a bit of luck, I <laughs> yeah. suppose. But uh, yeah, I think the lady who organises that for the bid did the same thing in Triorchy. Yes, didn't that's she? right. We were very, very cunning. We snapped her up because we knew that she'd uh, she'd done such great work in Triorchy, shortlisted for um, UK High Street of the, of the year. Um, and we thought if we can try and bring a bit of that magic to Aberdeer, let's do so. So we're very lucky to have Anne Harrod. She's, a, she's an absolute inspiration uh, and it's great to see how she's enthused uh, local shopkeepers and stallholders um, and I think the, the future of Aberdeer looks looks really bright now. Well the, the people when they came to do the ceremony for the uh, Eisteddfod Mm. which, of course, has turned out to be in Pontypridd. I think deservedly, uh, not just wearing a Pontypridd hat now <laughs> because that's where the radio station's based, but, I mean, the last time it came was 1893. <laughs> yes, that's right. I know people in Aberdeer were really disappointed that the Ice Deathboard wasn't coming there, but if you if you look at the timeline, I think it's only fair that Ponty gets the term first. Yeah, appar apparently uh, it wasn't Annis and Howard Park then because it was be before that, officially, but apparently um, I'm told from the fellow who wrote the book about it it, which is the um, forgotten Nystedford, you know, the one in Pontypridd in 1893. Apparently, they built a three story building in what is now Anderson Howard Park just for the Nystedford. <laughs> I mean, like a building building, not not a big tent, you know. Yeah. And you think, blimey, what do they do afterwards? They knocked it down. Uh. There's no sign of it now. I mean, either historians might know about it, but, you know. Anyway, but the point is, the um, the ceremony that precedes um, the, uh, the Ice Tetra, the year yes. before, was held strategically, obviously, in Aberdeer. The thing about the reason I mentioned it, though, is, and we chatted about this, it had just happened, I think, mm. for the last time we met. I was there watching this and there was an enormous turnout actually from people and because the town had sort of, you know, put it, put the flags all the way along and, and made a big effort. I think the people from the Gosseth, isn't it? The, the ones in the robes, yes. you know, because they walk through the town yes. and their experience apparently in other places is people go, 
oh, those are pretty costumes. What are they doing? <laughs> you know, whereas um, the bid had been saying, look, you know, this is important. It's going to happen, this ceremony. And uh, we've been banging on, to, on about it on the radio as well, that this is what it is. <laughs> And uh, the public knew what it was. I mean, enough public knew what it was to actually take part and, you know, cheer and wave and get flags out and everything. Yes. It's great. Yeah, it was It was really lovely. And I did speak to several of the bards there who have uh, had lots of experience in other towns across Wales. And they said that Aberdeen was their favourite uh, and the best reception. I don't think they were just saying that <laughs> to placate me. It really did seem genuine. There was a lot of people, and, and bearing in mind not that many people proportionally speak the language here, mm. it was good to see that, really, because it was so inclusive. Yes, I think it's important to say as well, I know that the plans for the Eisteddfod are that although Pont Preeth will be the main base, they will have satellite activities going on throughout Darcy to try and spread uh, the economic benefits throughout the borough. Yes, and there are events planned between now and then as well mm-hmm. um, by the different committees. I mean, whenever the committees tell us they're doing something, we, we publicise it because yeah. there are committees in the three parts, aren't there? But it, it is very exciting. But it was great to see that because it was it was clearly, uh, you know, people were actually communicating with the public about what the thing was mm-hmm. and it was working. That's a great thing. And again, you know, hats off to the bid for being part of that we, we enjoy working with them because they're so you know go ahead it's great it's, it's lovely to be part of the energy of all that really especially when loads of people come and it's a massive success it's great yeah that's right and I, you know i think for anybody who's got their own business it's it's a really a 24 7 thing and sometimes you you haven't got the time to think outside the box about how you can do things differently but be part of something wider in the town a shared vision and collective and that's where the bid steps in um, and allows uh, those shopkeepers who have got time to get involved and shape things and those who haven't still to to benefit from it as well and it becomes it becomes a sort of a, a self-motivating and and self-fulfilling journey then uh, and it's it really is very exciting to see what's happening in Aberdeen and I'm really optimistic for the future. In Ponte Breathe, we've had a bid longer. You have, th- yes. Th- than, the, than the Aberdeen one um, and it, that was born out of quite a gloomy period really where nothing really much was happening and then of course lots of things have happened we've had sort of you know the the massive amount of money spent on the street furniture and everything else and the railway stations being upgraded Mm -hmm. and of course now we've got the YMA the YMCA open as a community hub yes and it's a beautiful place it really is stunning and the the amount of things they're doing in there already is is you know is marvelous Mm -hmm. and you've got the space age um library it looks like it's arrived from outer space, <laughs> you know, um, hosting events as well, like the jobs fair last week. We had a jobs fair there. And the most, probably the most exciting news from a performance point of view is that the, the, now the brakes are off on the redevelopment of the Muni. Mm. So we'll have a facility in, in, in Pontypridd, you know, vers- as versatile as, the, as, you know, the the two other theatres in RCT. Yeah, I think that's really important for any town, isn't it? You need that cultural hub as well to pull people in. And apparently they're going to have um, cinema in in there, which was something that was very popular, I'm told, by residents before. That's coming on stream next year, run by the people who run the Porthcall Pavilion. Brilliant. Which hosted the Elvis Festival to 40,000 people a couple of weeks ago. So so This is what we need if we're going to really seriously try and and convince more people not to go out of town to, you know, your big multiplexes and so on. Come into Pondy, watch a film um, at the the Mooney in future, you know, grab yourself a bite to eat, maybe pick up something from a local shop. This is the kind of thing that keeps our town centres alive and thriving. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's good stuff. I know something else you wanted to talk about, something that was in the news, was the developments when developers, you know, develop new housing and new social housing and new things. There was a story in the news in the summer about Barry, mm-hmm. where the Vale of Glamorgan Council were taking the builders to to uh, task. Yes. Because whilst they were not saying, we're not going to build the park we promised, it was still a load of rubble and the people were already in the houses. Yeah. This is something that really gets my goat. Um, so we all know that the big builders are, are building 
uh, huge estates across our areas and, and housing is much needed, don't get me wrong, but they have a stranglehold on the market and, and my very strong belief is they they are generally not doing things in the way that they should be. And I thought the Vale of Glamorgan example was really interesting because it echoes um, issues that I've been dealing with on my patch for quite a while. So there you have three big builders, um, Barrett Homes, Taylor Wimpy and Persimmon, building over a thousand houses. Uh, and as part of that development, green space was key. It was on all of the plans that were submitted to the council. It was there for all the, all the homeowners who purchased this was one of of the the flagship things that they wanted to be able to live with this green space park for children uh, and so on uh, and a few years into the development uh, this has just not been forthcoming uh, the builders are still using the area as a storage facility uh, and you know it just seems as though they're putting it off and putting it off so that it'll be the last thing that's developed there which is really not in residents best interest and I've got personal experience of this that when I was first elected in 2016 when you're, you're the new kid on the block people often come to you with old problems that no one else has been able to resolve so right you know let's test her out can she fix this for us and one of the issues that I picked up was um, a persimmon housing estate in Aberdeer uh, that uh, had uh, still not had its promised green space delivered so I worked with the local residents and after a, a long campaign we eventually managed to get that park and play area put in but that was eight years after the very last house was built on the estate and you know I just think that's appalling uh, there, there should be no excuse for for that uh, level of disconnect between what your plans are and what you deliver um, and I've no doubt that if we weren't pressing them persimmon would still be using that as a storage facility uh, for works that's still ongoing because this estate is still not uh, formally adopted by the council because persimmon haven't finished their works there yet um, but you know across wales i'm finding there are local elective representatives having to fight the corner for residents on these green spaces and, and it's just not good enough so i take my hat off to the vale of glamorgan council for uh, pursuing legal action uh, and um, i've managed to get two statements out from the Senate, from the First Minister uh, and from the Trevnith, our business manager, reaffirming the Welsh Government's position that green spaces should be at the heart of all housing developments uh, and that councils should be doing exactly what the Vale of Glamorgan uh, has done, using their powers to crack down and make sure these facilities are delivered. Yes, because I mean, if you you put yourself in the the situation of the of the family moving into one of these new places, you know, where are the kids going to play? Mm. And, and worse than that, it's a building site. Yes, so it's not safe. Then. No, it seems like a no brainer, doesn't it? But, uh, yes. but then we are. That's why you're here <laughs> to uh, to shake them up a bit. Now, just looking at the the time here, I've got time to couple uh, discuss a couple more things. I see the first minister's been up in Brecon, not far away at a recycling experiment, bottle recycling. It's a bit of a hot potato because, again, between the different governments of different parts of the UK, there are different strategies uh, about this. But the the idea is like we used to have years ago. The deposit return scheme. Yes, sorry, I just wasn't aware of the connection with Breck. And so, yes, this is something I've been following actually really closely for for the last couple of years. Um, And I'm the chair of the cross-party group on small shops. So they take a keen interest in it because Mm. small shops will be um, at the heart of this. So the idea as as you were, were saying there is that people can bring their uh, bottles back to, to return them, um, either handing them over to a shopkeeper or posting them into uh, a sort of a, a container, mm. which then will give you um, a voucher for money off your next purchase. Yes. I didn't know there was a pilot scheme in Brecon either, but apparently there is. And and First Minister was there a couple of days ago and uh, it, it looks good. Um, it's complicated, to, to you know to put in this is the problem i think that the repayment system and everything else but it is actually happening 
I'm old enough to remember when the Corona Pop Man used to come round, and if you gave your glass bottle back, you could get, I think it was 10 pence off, off your next one. So, you know, all the good ideas eventually come back round full circle, don't they? Yes, they do. I would like to see this moving um, more quickly. I know there, there are some differences in that uh, Westminster government don't want to include glass in the scheme uh, in England, which excludes an awful lot of, of recycling opportunities there. Uh, and I know that the the minister in charge of this, Julie James, is working hard to try and iron things out. You know, it just seems silly. We're a small island nation. Let's get one scheme that works across the entire uh, island of Great Britain. Yeah, so we're not in sync about um, plastic waste either. Mm. I think it was a couple of days ago now that in England they banned like foam containers and cups and plates and knives and forks that are disposable one use ones because they're very hard to recycle mm-hmm. and and, uh, and wales is doing i think it's the end of october something similar is happening yes. here and something similar but not quite the same is happening in scotland it's another example actually of the three parts of it and not being in sync yeah it is you know i mean devolution can be a great thing but with things like this particularly environmental things that that affect uh people who who are traders and trade across britain it just seems bonkers to me and i just i can't get my head around the fact that we can't all just get together and work out a scheme that works across great britain for everyone yeah, it's very confusing. I mean, the telly people on BBC Breakfast did a Vox Pop. You know, they went around a few shops and takeaway establishments and they all had piles of these foam things that apparently are like illegal now. I mean, <laughs> this is about two days ago it's coming in and they didn't have a clue that that was happening. And they said, well, the wholesale is full of them as well. Mm-hmm. There's no signs anywhere saying from whatever date they won't, you can't use these. They're still selling them. And and these are the things that we need to really get to the bottom of because there could be huge costs associated for, for businesses um, if they've got the wrong materials as a result of poor communication. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Mm. Well, I, I, we put the world to rights, I think. Oh, no, I haven't asked you about the link road. Oh, okay. Has anything good happened about the link road? Because that was frozen last time we spoke the, no real development since we spoke last um, uh, for, for those listeners who, who are not aware this is my campaign to get the um, the, the Cannon Gateway North uh, a link road which will bypass Lukoid and Penwine uh, and feed directly into the heads of the Valleys Road. Uh, I know that RCT officials are due to meet with Welsh Government soon to go over the criteria for the Welsh Government's new uh, road building um, to see whether the scheme can be tweaked and amended so that it would pass those essential tests. So watch this space and I'm always happy to feed back on that. And meanwhile the roundabout is being built to connect to it. I mean it's actually that they're working on it now and it just goes nowhere except yeah. for the, you know, 465 up and down. Yeah, And the little right. road that goes down into Floyd Coyd. Yes, every time I pass it, I feel a, a, a pang, a pull on my heartstrings because myself and the residents are so desperate to get that road in and to take the traffic out of Lukecoid. I have to say, actually, uh, Lukecoid is one area where residents have been really, really supportive and uh, clamouring for the changes for 20 mile an hour because of the danger of, of heavy traffic going through their village. Uh, and they're hoping also that the 20 mile an hour will drive some of the the heavy traffic out of their village onto other routes to the A465. But to my mind, uh, the only real long-term answer is to get that uh, Cannon Gateway link road in. I mean, as it got all the planning consents and everything, I mean, Mm. it was well on the way, wasn't it? And it got caught up in the... uh the moratorium that isn't a moratorium in, <laughs> yes. in, in a similar way to it's not a blanket policy yes i'm yeah. glad you corrected yourself there terry because it would sound worse if i was the one who was stepping in to say that <laughs> oh no no I, i'm aware, well aware of the sensibilities of it and i bet that the, the meetings that you guys have in because you're you're chair of the labor group aren't you yes but it's not minuted and it's not, you know. Oh, but, it is minuted. Is it? Yes. But it's private. It, it's minuted, those, but those, it's not. We don't write everything down. It's not a, tra- a verbatim transcript. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, those must be wonderful meetings in the sense that the, the, the fly on the wall would have a 
whale of a time if only they could uh, <laughs> tune into them yeah i suppose so i mean <laughs> i i love it because we're we're such a unique group of different individuals you know 30 members all with different interests and strengths and and we get to have really frank um open and honest conversations uh, and thrash everything out behind closed doors and then go into the chamber united which is you know <laughs> that's what every political party should be doing in order to be effective yeah, it's utopia isn't it <laughs> <laughs> as, near, as near as you get to it Vicky it's been a, a pleasure as usual and um, let's have a chat in another month and a lot will have happened no doubt yes absolutely thank you very much Terry I've really enjoyed it